This is Rugger Matrix America. Hello and welcome to the program, episode 33, Phaedra Knight. We look at America's World Cup campaign, Bruce McLean on all things rugby and beer as well, and Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 33 of Rugger Matrix America. Bruce McLean, come on in from New York. What's up, Bronk? How are you? Very good. Things are good here. Very good. And Alex Goff from the West Coast. Hey, guys. How are you? Very good. Great to speak to you. And Bruce, uh, we've got a number of things to talk about today, as we said in the introduction, but we've got a very special guest off the top of the show. And let's uh, get stuck into that before we move on to other things. Yeah, it's really nice to have, uh, we're having Phaedra Knight on, and she's a three-time World Cup player for the United States. Um, She played sevens for the USA. She's a lawyer, and she had an environmental cleaning services company, and she is most recently a CrossFit certified trainer. So if you think you're fit, she's fitter than you, but she can get you fit, that's for sure. Phaedra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Awesome intro. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Phaedra, let's talk about the World Cup. What did you um what was the what was the final feeling by the American team? Uh, you know, at the conclusion, we were we were very happy with our performance and our um I guess our final three games, um, we we were, we were we weren't satisfied necessarily with the losing to England, but we were happy to see that, you know, we had the the, the chemistry to at least uh, play through the you know duration of eighty minutes hard. Um, by the time we reached Canada, you know, it was it was obviously our last game and. Um, we were pretty fatigued, I think, um, you know, as you would be at the end of a World Cup, but we pulled through and we were very happy about that. So it was a, it was an incredible note to end on, um, you know, and that's, that's, you know, it's all about how you adjust to uh, adversity. And I think we adjusted very, very well. Phaedra, I got a quick question. One of the highlights for me of the World Cup was the fact that although you lost to Ireland in the pool match, when you got to them in a knockout round, and and actually, that loss to Ireland w- was costly in that they, the Americans didn't get a bonus point. They might have been able to, might have been able to pile through. Um, but the in you, in going to the to the knockout rounds, you turned that game around and beat them forty-one to five. Was there any difference in the preparation, or was it just a difference in the mentality? Was it did? Was it? Did it just feel like, hey, all right, now the pressure's off us. We can just play our game. I, what was the difference between those two games? Yeah, I think the difference between those two games was a combination of several factors. Um, you know, there was a slightly different lineup um, in terms of the selection uh, for the U.S., and I think that played a played a definite role. Um, I, I just believe that we were making less mistakes on the on the second day, and we are. Although you know the first game was our our second game, we'd already played a game. We had a, a little bit more of an opportunity in the England game to work together, more practices, just to build mu- just much more continuity. 
And um, I honestly think, too, they didn't come quite as strong as they did um, in that second game. So it was, there were a number of factors, I think, that played into uh, into um, our win. But I, I truly believe that we had really an off game on the second game. And our second, our our second match, our first match against Ireland, um, and by the time we played them again in the knockout round, um, we were we were just ready, and uh, we came much more ready to play that day. So yeah, there, there were several factors. The team morale, you know, after that first game, that first loss, was was you know suffering. We were really disappointed, and I think we just we're just survivors. We pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps, and you know took it to him the second time around so Phaedra uh, I've got two questions for you and the, sure. the first one is you know the, the the a lot of the other teams in the UK and in Europe get an awful lot more international matches so the first that question is how jealous are you of England and uh, and Ireland and, and the rest for how many international games they get building into a World Cup and the second question is What's harder, training for a World Cup or trying to get a recalcitrant teenage girl to learn how to play rugby? <laughs> oh, those are two awesome questions there. Uh, first question I'll address. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily the jealous type. You know, it's, it's, um, I feel like everyone's in a position and they put, they're put in a position because they're meant to be there. And it's certainly, although it would be a very much a privilege to get to play as much as the European teams, you know, we are positioned here um, uh, where we have to, you know, it's not obviously as, as easy and accessible for us to get international matches just based on everything in the, in the state of USA Rugby at this point, which is not a very bad place. Um, so it gives us some history, you know, when you fast forward down the road for the young folks then to look back on. Um, and, and, um, it, it, I think it's, I think it's, you know, uh, unfortunately I couldn't play more, you know, international matches and get more caps. Um, at the same time we're building. And so we, although we aren't getting as many as your, you know, some of the English teams are getting and, and, uh, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, we are getting many more uh, caps than uh, our predecessors, and so it's a little frustrating. But at the same time, you know it's coming. So we just, we just, you know, I'm really patient, and um, I've been pretty patient, and um, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunities that we do get, and uh, just, just take it for what it's worth because I know down the road it's going to be a, a totally different story. So. And it's to answer your second question, uh, <laughs> what's harder to train for? You know, they're both very challenging uh, within themselves. I had an incredible experience um, training the young lady out in Wisconsin to play rugby. It was life-changing. Um, and it, it actually gave me real, literally something to do after I retire from international rugby, um, or at least something to focus on. Um, so they're very hard within themselves, but, um, I, you know, one for one training for a world cup i think that's that's past me now i think i'm done with training for my world cups at this point um so it's a it's an excellent segue <laughs> into the the next uh, horizon and so you know they're both tough again in themselves but um they're both pretty exciting and pretty amazing opportunities that uh, i'm very i'm i have been very grateful to have phaedra you, can you just talk us through the the preparation and the build-up to the World Cup, starting with 
the formation of the Women's Premier League, going through to your individual camps and, and all-star things that you did. And then, and then, you know, you had a forwards camp and a backs camp, and then you went to Bowdoin, and then you went to England. And in the World Cup, I believe you played pretty much every four days. Um, and, and you play, and you played all your games over the course of four days, four day break, four day break. So it's pretty intense stuff. Could you just talk us through that? And on top of it as a follow up, compare those to the other world cup experiences in buildups that you've had. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the buildup to this world cup was pretty intense, um, compared to all the other world cups or the other two world cups prior to this one that I'd prepared for they were rel- relatively the most intense um buildups you know or the most intense buildup i've had um you know the wpl season was extremely um <laughs> for lack of a better word intense um because it you know basically took the the top eight teams and and put us all you know pitted us kind of together and pull, we played each other you know we played we played Beantown leading up. I think we played Keystone. We played Washington. And then obviously once we made it to a national championship or nationals, we, we ended up playing Berkeley in the final. So it was a very intense fall season, which led into um, our, I guess, first international match in early January uh, down in Florida. And, um, you know, it was something, again, that it was just one thing after the other. If we weren't, playing international matches we were getting together and practicing we had our forwards camp um here on the east coast in new jersey and and bruce you were um you were there and and was you were very helpful there but it's just been it has it has been you know one thing after another um it was definitely a required you know thing we needed it we needed the time together this this is a you know a a team that relatively was new to any kind of world cup experience i mean we had some veteran world cuppers i think we had six six players six or seven players returning um to the team from the previous world cup um so we had a lot of new people new to the world cup and um you know, every time we got together, there was a marked improvement, you know, pretty awesome improvement. And, um, the residency, which obviously happened this summer was, was extremely key, I think to our development. And, um, and that, you know, again, that was a five week long, four weeks up in, um, uh, can I even remember up in Maine? And then we were, you know, in England for a week in residency, you know, all those things took an incredible amount of perseverance from the players, a lot of dedication, a lot of time from work, but they were very necessary. Um, and so it was so different from previous World Cups. In my experience at the last World Cup, you know, I, I wasn't even running um, up until I actually left for World Cup because I had broken, I broke my ankle. And if, if I recall correctly, the U.S. gathered uh, once – or I think uh, within like the last two or three months before the World Cup, so there wasn't nearly as much there wasn't nearly as much um, training together leading up. Not to take away from it at all. I mean, there was when we did get together, it was pretty intense. But you also had a team that was, you know, you had a few more veteran players on that 2006 World Cup team. So. Um, you know, it was it was different. It was a different team, um, but then the game has changed too. So it's it's all relative to the the, the place and time. 
but um, there was there was a pretty it was a pretty challenging schedule, and I can't imagine it's going to get any uh, or you know it's going to lessen at all you know leading into future World Cups. So um, I think what made it really really exhausting for a lot of people, not to say that we were exhausted. Uh, when we got there, but it was really, it was, it was very, very challenging because, you know, folks had to work and we had to commit to the training, you know, outside of the residency, outside of, you know, our camps together. So it, it, it was, it was definitely, it called on, you know, every part of each of us. Um, and there was no doubt that we were all dedicated in there for the cause. So it it was, it was pretty challenging, <laughs> but it was awesome, and and we all survived it, and we we got through in fifth place. So, <laughs> Phaedra, watching uh, the games on television, the teams look really well drilled uh, this World Cup. I'd like to ask you how you thought it compared in the coaching terms, how the teams uh, affected the game plan and the skill involved uh, of the teams that you played against, and and who were the outstanding teams for you in that regard. You know, I think the I think the results of the World Cup were pretty uh, uh, pretty much implicated the 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 teams that were drilled well and you know obviously well coached. Not to say that teams that didn't do as well weren't well coached, um, but certainly um, you know your England's your or or England and New Zealand. You know they they have. They make minimal mistakes in games, and that comes down to obviously practice, 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 you know, continuity, focus, you know, a number of things, you know, that are a result of getting together more often, you know, living in a country that's, you know, smaller and, and more feasible in terms of gathering. Um, but most certainly, uh, you know, Australia, again, another did, did very well, you know, and got third place. Um, as well as, you know, France with their fourth place win. So I think that the results were pretty accurate in terms of the, the you know, drills and, and, and skill level, um, in my opinion. Um, I think that the U.S. is, is a, probably the most athletic team there or was the most athletic team there. And um, I think for us it's just going to be a matter of, of you know, Stay, hanging in there and continuing to to get f- good funding so that we can get together more, getting more sponsorship so that, you know, the players can rely less on the nine to five job and, you know, can, can practice and get those skills as well, acquire those skills and fine tune, fine tune those things. Same with coaching staff, you know, it's, it's the same. They, they, they carried a burden or a very similar burden as the players. And so, the more, again, what it comes down to is money, and the more money that's able, available to the players here in the U.S., and the the more likely we are to to get that get those fine-tuned skills and and you know and and have everything come together just as it did for for New Zealand and, and England. So, Phaedra, uh, Fa- this is Alex. Uh, just uh, uh, looking ahead now. Uh, not everybody on the on the U.S. women's team is going to go back and, and continue to play at that level. I don't know what your plans are, but if you were going to uh, uh, pick someone that you could uh, uh, hand the, the torch over to, for, you know, two or three players on the national team who you'd like to see sort of take that team and lead it, who would they be? 
Uh, wow. I, I, <laughs> that's a stomper of a question, but, Alex. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I come might on. Set get, myself, get... I'm setting myself up for a big beating after that. <laughs> no, um, you know what? Uh, two people, it's, it's hard to just pick two people because there are so many, um, I feel like there's so many trailblazers on that team, young players who are going to mature further into amazing players. Um, I'll say this. If you had pick a leader out of the forwards, you know, that didn't actually, didn't even, didn't even play in the world cup. You know, I'd have to pick, uh, Jill Potter, you know, um, she's young, she's hungry. She was hit with a bit misfortune for this world cup, you know, but I think she's going to come back strong and I think she's going to be a huge leader and a huge asset to that team. Um, in terms of the back line, you know, new players, um, that are going to be in leadership positions. I think, you know, I think Christy Riggenberg will, will will do well. Um, if she decides to stick with the 15s and play another, play another world cup, you know, but it, it goes to say, I think Venetia McGee is a trailblazer too in her own. Um, you know, Natalie Marchino, they're, they're, you know, those are, they put points on the board. So, I think a lot of them. Ashley Kamichik. I, I, I could sit here and, and name off a number of them that I, I think are going to return to the game and are going to really like take things to another level. You know, they they're just that. That's that's just the personality of that team. And so, <laughs> more than two, and definitely more than the four that I just mentioned. Those, yeah, those those are good picks, and I think uh, Jill Potter is is definitely thought of as a as a a leader. And I think the big question going forward is is how is this team going to be led on on the coaching level and on the playing level uh to to continue and, and perhaps get back to that top 4 level that a lot of people kind of expect right you know it was it it's i i think uh, well in terms of the coaching i have no idea what's going to happen with that you know i don't know if 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 the current coaching staff's going to stay or if um you know usa rugby's going to bring in some new folks um but it, and i think you know i understand that the, the general public can look and it's very easy to to point fingers when you're on the outside but you know even you know i didn't realize it because i just I just started playing with the 15s team again after, you know, uh, back in August of 2009. I was playing, you know, international sevens up to that point. And I really didn't know a lot of these girls. They were very new. I mean, I knew them from playing club rugby, but they were, you know, it's a very young team. And I think to have done as well as, you know, we did coming in fifth place or maintaining our fifth place position I, I think the world should be a little bit afraid, you know, of what's going to happen over the next four years in terms of the development of these players and then the new ones that are going to come on board. Um, I think the U.S. is going to stun the world. And I, I hoped it would, you know, of course, we all hope that it would have been this year. But, um, you know, everything has its time and place. And I certainly think that, you know, the next four years has a great deal of good things in store for, you know, women's rugby in this country. So, Phaedra... He talked up his involvement, but uh, Bruce McLean, could he take over? Could take over, you say? Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. I really do. Yeah, about I, it, Bruce. Hey, I would do yeah. And Bruce, I think, I think, I, I, yeah, let's put it this way. It'd be a damn lynch mob out before that happened. <laughs> That's for damn sure. I would, I don't hey. think I'd survive. Uh, I, w- I will say that, you know what? Um, 
first I wanna I wanna uh, talk about Alex's comment. I, I think it was a little bit unfair to have those those kind of expectations on the women, Alex, pr- prior to the World Cup. I think yep. it, it put a bit of undue pressure on them, and I, they were a very talented group of group of players, and they and they had they had a a, a mix of of youth and experience, but you know. When Potter got hurt, that that was a, a massive blow to the team. That that definitely um, that definitely changed things a bit. And then, and and other players definitely stepped up. And but I I think that to have an expectation, just like you were saying, the U.S. gets to, you know, they they don't have they don't have a lot of funding. Uh, Phaedra, I don't even know what your per diem is. I I mean, you happen to, <laughs> fortunately it's- you have. Yeah, what what is your per diem? You could tell us. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's fifty bucks a day when we're together, and I gotta say, like, it's that's based on what we what what we used to get, what we what we didn't get. <laughs> it's fifty yeah, bucks nothing, a day, right? so yeah. you know, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, but right. and, 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 you know, we'll go through that, and then and then, you know, the medical the medical staff with Lisa Bartoli of the women's team is terrific. I, I think that Kathy, Candy, and Alex working together and. They're a, they're a terrific coaching staff, and and people, Kathy and Candy are two people in the world who've won a World Cup, and I've said it on the show a, a few times before that some of the best rugby that I have ever seen played in the United States was played in 1989 by Kathy, Candy, and Patty Jervy. A they Kathy controlled the pack, Patty controlled the I mean uh, Candy controlled the midfield, and Patty scored. And those women were tremendous rugby players. You could almost look at the 87 World Cup of the All Blacks and, and, and take a look at those, those women in 1990 and 91, what they did, and you got to say, like, they could play. For what it's worth, they could play. And they understand what it takes to win. <clears throat> and, and that was the question I wanted to bring to Phaedra. Phaedra, now you've seen the the New Zealands, the Englands, the Australias, the Frances. And, and, and Alex, we were in a tough bracket with Ireland. You had said they played a lot of international matches in the Six Nations. Right. You know, but to have an expect, I think the high expectation on a young team was tough. And I think it was unfair. And I, you know, and I think that it was, it was kind of beaten down on, on RugbyMag.com a lot that you know, they weren't living to expectation. They weren't living to expectation. I think that, I think that they actually did play some good rugby and had an unfortunate game against Ireland, and that happens. And, you know, a World Cup, there were, there were a couple injury situations with them, and a World Cup, you're always one or two injuries away from a disaster or one or two injuries away from a problem. So I, I do think that that was slightly unfair on, on the part of the website. And secondly, Phaedra, what do we have to yes. do besides become CrossFit experts? And, Alex, I'll give you a chance to respond to me too. No, that's fine, that's uh, fine, yeah. Yeah, and like you know, what do we have to do besides become CrossFit experts? On top of become CrossFit experts, for our women to regain uh, the World Cup or become a favorite to win it, like you know, in the top three in the England New Zealand category. What do we have to do? We have to we have to get we have to have a one hundred and ten percent buy in from USA Rugby, and I'm not saying USA Rugby is not doing that already, um, but what I'm saying is 
um, we we need we need the funding. We need to get together more. It, it it's it's that simple. I mean, if we were able to get together, you know, once every two months over the next four years, I think you would change the whole game of uh, rugby in the U.S. I think how often also, are you, Phaedra, sorry to interrupt, but how often nope. are you getting together now? Oh wow. Well, it's hard to say. Like when, when it's a World Cup year. You know, this past year was a World Cup year. We got together, I mean, not every two months. We were together in January. We got together again in March, I believe. Bruce, the camp was in March, uh, New May. Jersey. May, May, actually, May. Yeah, we couldn't get, we were we were planning to get together between those, those months, but, you know, funding fell through, um, and we didn't have the budget to do it. Uh, we were supposed to have a red and white game, actually, and that didn't happen. Um, and then we got together again for uh, uh, we went up to Canada for a couple of weeks in June, and then it was our four week five week long residency after that, which started in in July, and that was pretty much it. Um, we we Nations Cup kicked off, I guess our our journey to the World Cup back in uh, August of uh, 2009, and the the games were s- similarly formatted as the world you know to the World Cup. Um, and that was essentially that was essentially all we did. We played our WPL season, um, and then everything else was, you know, what what I just mentioned. But we need to get more time. We need more time together. Players need to be able, um, you know, to work. Um, I think also, well, I'll, I'll backtrack. You know, W the WPL season is good, but we need more high level competition throughout the year if we're not getting together more um and that's you know that's something that's critical again to finances so i i mean i think that the you know again the direction of usa rugby is is definitely headed the right way and i know that you know there was there's a lot probably a significant amount of stuff to kind of clean up um over the years and i i do have you know faith that that will continue to happen but we just got to get more funding, bottom line. And it's got to happen before, uh, you know, the World Cup year. It's got to happen in the three yeah. years leading up to that. I think that's a great point, Phaedra, about the, you know, the it's not just putting your hand out, but when do you get that funding? And and if you had, if you got $2 million for the World Cup year, that would be the wrong time because you, you, you've missed two, three years of right. developing that team. Right. They'll take exactly. the two mil for the World Cup year. That's for sure. Yeah, sure, absolutely, sure. absolutely. Sure. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if we can, if we can, even if we could get together as much as we did this year and the two, two of the four years leading up to the World Cup, and then maybe the final year, to, you know, or two, um, have a little bit more time together. Even you know, I think it would, I think it would make a substantial difference. And um, you know, it, it it also, yeah, I think that's it. I think that, you know, especially with such a young team, you've got to get them more experience. You know, the older players are, the more experience they have leading into it. It's, you know, you can get by with, you know, less time together. But it's, it's, it's I think it's crucial at this point. Well, actually, I got a quick question on that. That was one of the points I wanted to bring up. Development of players. Are we happy with what's coming out of the high school system, the U20 system? 
and the collegiate system into the women's game at club level and then subsequently into the international level? Or do we need to have more of a push to have high school rugby at the women's level building in the U-20s and, and college All-American rugby? Oh, well, uh, the uh, on the youth level, are we happy with what we're getting? Well, I'll tell you something. There's some outstanding athletes coming out of the high school level but you can't be happy with it because there just aren't enough. We, we, it, there aren't as many great athletes as could be playing it. So you can you can be somewhat happy with it and say, yeah, you know, the the the, the high school level. Some of these teams, you know, uh, you know what Carl Barth is doing in Summit High School in in, uh, in Colorado is just some outstanding work. Uh, Rex Norris in Kent, Washington, great stuff, great players, great talent. But we need a lot more. We need about ten times as much. And the other thing, is, and, and I, think, I think you're right, Bruce, you don't put all the money at the top. And my feeling is that it's the pipeline from the high school level through to college, through to club. And the question is, what, when do you get, uh, you know, how can you make, make some kind of incentive to make it easier for the kids to come out of high school? Kids who, who didn't know what a rugby ball was until you know, two years ago, and now it changes their lives. And if, you, if we could find some way to provide some kind of rugby scholarships, and I'm not talking about a full ride. I'm talking about like 10%. If, if some kid can go to her parents and say, Mom, Dad, you know, I love rugby, and guess what? I can go to university of such and such, and they'll, they'll cut my tuition down 10% because I play rugby. You'll find an awful lot of people getting behind rugby uh, and 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 you'll find an awful lot more of these talented high school players continue to play through college and into club. Well, I think I think that that's that's out there. There's, there's more of it than than you would know. And 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 I had done a thing with the mostly with the men's teams on trying to find information for high school students who wanted to go to college, and and it was started with trying to help Xavier kids make intelligent choices about colleges. And I just said, well, screw it. I'll use it for everybody in the country. And we sent it out to everybody and USA rugby took over. I don't think they has done such a great job with it, but they haven't done a horrible <laughs> job with it either. And I, and they didn't really follow up at all in the women's game. And I, and as I said, I, I didn't know anyone in the women's game, so I didn't really do a whole lot with it Had three or four schools. There are opportunities out there for students to go to school, you you know, you'd be surprised. Like stupid things at St. Mary's, if you have a certain set of grades, like if you got a twelve hundred in your SATs, they knock ten grand off your tuition. If you got thirteen fifty, they knock another ten grand off. You know, if you go into the acting program, they knock another ten grand off. So all of a sudden, that fifty thousand dollar or forty thousand dollar tuition becomes you know twenty or ten. So there's certain things that like at, at Texas A and M. I believe that if you get a $1,000 scholarship from the rugby program, you qualify for in-state tuition. So your tuition goes from $46,000 to $17,000 for the in-state plus your $1,000. So you get the $16,000. You get a $30,000 scholarship for a $1,000 rugby scholarship. So th there are opportunities out there that are very similar to that. And you, should, and you should go to the USA website and try to track those down. I'm sure that Bob Wegler at Norwich can do things. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of things out there. You just got to kind of look for them. And, and, I, and I also think that there has to be better coaches in, in women's college rugby. I think that 
a lot of the guys who go and coach you know, may, maybe don't necessarily do it for the right reasons and probably going to get blogged all over the place for this. But like, there's a lot of guys <laughs> oh, who go man. and coach women's <laughs> rugby who don't necessarily do this for the right reason. They they do it for their own reasons. And then, um, and I think that, that that's part of what the women have to do in their own game. The women are going to have to step up and take ownership of coaching roles like people like Lisa Rosen and people who've gone out there and, and Julie McCoy and, and, and Candy and Kathy and Alex and all these people who go and coach their teams. Women are going to have to start getting much more involved in coaching and in refereeing if they want the game to grow. If they're going to rely well, think- on the men, if they're going to rely on the yeah. men, it's going to be tough. Totally agree with you in, on the, especially on the last comments, uh, Bruce. And well, one thing I felt, I feel like um, a lot of women, when they are done with rugby, and a lot of people that, when especially at the higher level, when they completed their playing, you know, they're so burned out. There's no money, you know, they're burned out because they've <laughs> skipped around from job to job, or they've been financially so like, you know, depleted that they they don't really have any resources to give back their time they've given you know i think you know one solution one incentive that you know maybe usa rugby could provide for former players is to maybe get them certified in refereeing or coaching or um you know whatever walk they want but you know let let be something that usa rugby can give back in the in the form of thank you instead of you know instead because it, it, it doesn't necessarily cost them anything and it, they're actually buying in to keeping their own apart and using it it's, it's kind of a smart thing to do um because then they have they there's less reliance on have to, having to go outside of you know your own and 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 i guess there's some good with going outside your own because it can get a little bit crazy and and in some ways you know incestuous and i don't mean that in in the way that maybe it sounds but um i think that you know Maybe USA Rugby could have a, a an awesome role in um, keeping players involved with teaching rugby, rugby and cultivating these young players. Um, and then just just something as minor as as providing some coaching uh, classes or co- coaching certifications. But I just want to squeeze that in there because it's something that's been pressing on my mind for a while. Pedro, so. will you will you end up being a coach? I will be involved. Um, I'm not sure what capacity right now. I, I seem to be convinced. I've convinced myself that I want to be a commentator. <laughs> um, I think at the high school level, um, at the college level, I would probably be most likely to coach at least start there, but who knows? I mean, there's, I have no limitations on what I'm, what I'll do, um, at this point. And it, coaching could definitely be in the cards down the road. All right, Phaedra. Now, um, Bruce called out Alex before about, uh, putting a lot of pressure on the American team in the World Cup. Bruce thought it was undue <laughs> pressure. Now, Alex, uh, uh, we're going to give you a chance to respond, and you've got Phaedra here as well, so time to man up. Okay, absolutely. Well, first I'd say that, Phaedra, that there's a, you, you need to be a commentator. You'd be great at it. But in terms of the unfair expectations, I think the results bear out that the expectations were fair because all the United States had to do was beat Ireland in pool play and they most likely or they would have been top four if they wouldn't have been top four but they had been two and one in pool play everyone would have said 
hey, they were two and one in pool play, but you know they were unlucky because Australia, um, you know, ran up the score uh, at the end of their pool play, or something happened. There's not much you can do to control it. But what they had to do was win a game, beat Ireland in pool play. Now, once they lost to Ireland, I know the players were terribly ups- uh, upset. I know that they were they were uh, very disappointed. And we had someone on the ground there. We had Jackie Finland reporting from England. It wasn't like we were doing this remotely. She was right there. Uh, we talked a lot about you know how the players were feeling. It was really tough for them. I think that you know b- because you lost to Ireland uh, in the pool play, but then beat them later on. In retrospect, you look and say, well, they 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 were good enough to win both of those games, and they should have. And that that's where I think uh, the pressure is justified. Granted, I mean, I I agree with I agree with you on that. I, um, pressure, yeah. It, you know, I just bear in mind, however, that and this I'll say this, and I don't want this to lead into anything controversial, but you know, players as the you know the players that were put on the field, you know, did what that you know performed, but we didn't. We only have so much to say in the decision making of who's on the field at the time. So you know, I, I completely understand. We we own the loss and. Um, you know, it's we could turn back the hands of time. I think we changed the results for sure. But you know, there, we we did what we could and we put in what we could. And you know, a lot of it. <laughs> I'll just say, the players. As far as the players, I know that I, I'm, I'm coming with a strong voice on their behalf. You know, we did what we could do, and at that point, then it's kind of out of our hands in a sense. So I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> well, you, you're going to be a commentator, or you want to be a commentator, Fader. So uh, I guess you have to take the good with the bad. But it is a good thing in a way. If expectations are high, that means the respect for the team is there. And uh, you're going across as a, as a serious player. Surely that's good as well. Right. Yes. I think it, I think there's some good in everything. You have to find the silver lining in every cloud. And, you know, we didn't – I was – I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was really disappointed – that in, when when we lost to Ireland, um, and uh, you know, coming to the realization that we absolutely had to beat England. Well, actually, I was more disappointed when we lost to England because then that was you know the writing was on the wall at that point. Um, I was hopeful after the Ireland game, um, the first Ireland game. But at at any rate, you know, we didn't we didn't lose us. You know, we didn't fall down in the world rankings. You know, we maintained. And again, I feel like this is the best springboard for the the next World Cup team, um, you know, to 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 launch off of. Uh, and you know, it's 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 all going to work out in the end. And and I don't know. I'm just I'm really hopeful, and I have a good feeling about the next World Cup. So whether I'm there as a player, which is very unlikely, or or as a commentator or just a spectator, you know, I think we're going to do great. So. All right, Phaedra, we appreciate your time on Rugger Matrix America. A lot of people outside of America listen to this program, and uh, I thought I'd point them to your website, which is absolutely stunning. And if they haven't had a chance <laughs> to get to it, it's thephaedranight.com. Is that correct? That is it. <laughs> thephaedranight.com. And looks really, really good. And uh, you are looking fit at the moment, Phaedra. <laughs> <laughs> that picture was taken a couple of years ago, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, well, that's what Bruce says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thank hey, you Fedra, very much. Fedra. These guys are looking yeah. to can me anyway. 
every single week they want to throw me out of the show. You might have you might be the night you might be the new Bruce. <laughs> oh no, nah. nobody can take your place, brother. You're the man. Yeah, that's certainly <laughs> right. No one can take his place. Phaedra, you are the man. <laughs> uh, from, from the American women's rugby team, we appreciate your time today, and uh, thanks for answering the questions. And uh, let's hope that uh, that some of the moves can be made to to make uh, your job a bit easier on the field. Thank you for joining us. Well, look, us. I, pre- I appreciate the opportunity f- um, for being on, and um, I-, I wish you guys the best of luck. <laughs> There she is, Phaedra Knight. Bruce, uh, what a wonderful character, and uh, maybe you need to train with her. If I trained with Phaedra, I'd have a heart attack by next week. <laughs> she is as fit as anyone, although I... I Do I yourself a favour and look it up, thephaedranight.com, and actually... Alex... Look, I don't have to look up the Phaedra Knight. No, 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 no I'm not talking to you. I talk... Phaedra, the Phaedra Knight comes to my office. Yeah. The Phaedra Knight comes to talk to me. She wants to make me a better person, and, and I'd rather eat Hershey bars. Um, <laughs> no, do oh, yourself a favor. She is, she is an imposing figure. Yeah, and, and check it out because uh, she's a wonderful athlete, wonderful person, and, uh, you know, America should be very proud of her. All right, Alex, uh, a lot of uh, commotion on D1. Uh, what's, what's going on, mate? What's going on with with regard to the clubs? Correct. Well, the 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 thing is that it's all in flux. I guess that's the that's the key part of it. There's an awful lot of question about what uh, clubs get out of the the competitions that they have, and there are some competitions that are going along just fine, and there are some competitions where they're still looking around, saying, you know, it it hasn't changed. Uh, and I'm sitting there thinking about a, you know, working on a series of columns that I'm, and I'm working over them in my head. But, but you know, you think about the aspect of what does a Division One or club player want? What does he want? Well, he he wants to be able to play a game most every weekend. That's not impossible to get to. He wants to be able to go to playoffs if his team makes playoffs or, or go to these major events and not have to spend $700 on a plane ticket. Uh, he wants to be able to look at his rugby year and map it out in a fairly normal way and not get sent to the poorhouse and not get kicked to the doghouse by a significant other and, and get good a competition out of it. And as as Mrs. Goff on rugby would say to me, when I was playing or when I was coaching, she you know, and, and I'd be away for a long period of time because in the state of Washington, you know, you, you, you can drive it's not hard to drive have to drive five or six hours to get to a game. She'd look at me and say, It better be fun. When I start complaining about it, she said, Don't you dare not have fun after all the stuff you're doing to do it. And I think it was a great, it's a great point. Yes, I'm gonna, I, I better be getting something out of it. And I just think we're making so many hoops to jump through. We talked about reworking the competition, and we talked about it very much on the Super League side. And I think, I think Bruce made so many good points about the Super League side. But what about your Division One guy who just knows that, you know, there, there are a couple of good teams down the street, 30, 30 minutes away, he, he, he can't play them in a competitive way because things have been moved around so much. And, and it just strikes them as just, uh, as I understand it, it strikes them as, as just illogical. I think there's a really big lesson. I was thinking about it a lot in you our know, discussion last week about Super League and the competition, the comparisons to the Sydney Premiership, the, the Australian competition, 
And uh, what makes it good is that tight uh, insular competition of a high density, high in dense, high density, high intensity of competition, which makes uh, for good players. The Sydney comp and the Brisbane comp. I mean, the Sydney comp especially more so than the Brisbane comp. But the uh, are is a tremendous rugby competition. That, that oh, this year has been an all-time best uh, effort, Bruce. It's been it's been outstanding. And and if you even go back further into the late '80s and early '90s, when that's all they had, it it was it was must have been an outstanding thing to be able to go to. My first time in Australia was 1990, so I, I don't know much about the <laughs> 80s. But uh, the country is still recovering from it, Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, so I I, I think that. A D1 rugby player is the same as a Super League rugby player and the same as a D2 rugby player. And the same. They basically just want to have – they want to go out and have fun with their friends, feel good about themselves, and play a bit of rugby and enjoy themselves. And, and I think that what happens is when we make a lot of rules and we have a lot of regulations and you got to sip this and this thing has to get done and this guy needs to have this ID and this thing needs to be – when you start having to do 50 million things and jumping through a thousand hoops and having referees tell you that, hey, we're not going to ref, you know, the SIP starts September 1st and, you know, these teams get together and they're playing after Labor Day. And like, if you don't have 22 guys sipped by now, you're not, you know, you're forfeiting. I mean, this is, these are the types of things that drive people crazy. All they want to do is play rugby. They're not looking to beat anyone out of any money. Everything will get sipped. Everything will get done. All these things will happen, but because you have, you know, because you have to do it in, in a four day period, and and I, I honestly, and then you have five hundred playoff things. Like what happens now is that, like in Met New York, you, if there's four teams that come out of New England, Marfu area or whatever, into the, they make sure that four teams in Met New York make the playoffs, and four teams in New England, and four teams. In, that's just unrealistic. You're you're not going to make the playoff. You're not going to win the national championship coming fourth out of your local union. It's not going to happen. No. And and then and also people think like, oh, the Super League costs so much money. Super League doesn't even it costs about two thirds of what it costs to play in Division One or Division Two. That's the myth that that everybody's forgetting. When you're traveling twenty eight guys to some obscure place to play in the backwoods, you know, next to the deliverance guys and and then, you know, driving three hours to get there, staying in some podunk hotel with 30 guys and they jack the rates up because all the Yankees are coming to town. You know, I mean, this is – that's what these guys deal with every single week and it stinks. And then going to the playoffs and playing in these places, it stinks. Now, when you go to Glendale, obviously, that's a different different story – but I think it'd be better if they just play through regionally, get through your playoffs, go to your Final Four, and play it out. I think there's way too much in terms of playoff. There's way too much in terms of cost. There's way too much in terms of questions of where you're going to be. Guys don't know, you know, am I going to be in D.C.? Am I going to be in Boston? Or am I going to be in Pittsburgh? And that's in the Northeast where it's easy to get around. And imagine being like in the West – we don't know if you're going to be in St. Louis, Dallas, or, you know, I don't know, what's another mid, Utah. And that's, yeah, those you know, are things. You're, you're absolutely right. You, you, 
it's so much easier if you get to plan it and just say this is the way it is. this is where you're going to go it, but the they change the playoff stuff so that that clubs can walk around and say hey we made the playoffs last year you made the playoffs because half the teams make the playoffs and more or, than half know, the teams half make the playoffs it's yeah. actually it's a it's a joke but that doesn't mean that the that, and when i say it's a joke i don't mean the rugby's a joke the rugby's fine it's actually it's, it's good rugby it's fun to watch. It's enjoyable to play. It's every, I mean, it, it's definitely decent. And on, on the turf fields, and Bronk, you probably are going to have a conniption or, or maybe have a heart attack. But when you play rugby on turf, on that, on that field turf, the, the new stuff, the all weather, it's quite good. And, 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 and the standard of play raises a, li- a lot because the tackles are cleaner, the even in the rain, the the ball's cleaner, the rucks are cleaner, the scrums are, are more stable, the um, the offloading is a lot qu- is a lot cleaner, the kicks bounce truer. Players actually look better playing on it. I remember when we played Boston Irish up at uh, up at Mystic Rivers Field uh, um, in a night game. It, we were following the Mystic River game. Mystic Rivers Division One club was quite good out of. Uh, out of out of Boston area, and and they had been a Final Four team when prior to the Super League, so they're 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 a very well storied and, and and an excellent club. They had they had a game against somebody South Shore or somebody, and it looked like I was like I was saying to Mike Tolkien, I was like, man, this is some seriously good rugby. These guys look terrific, and I know they're not as good as they look, but because of this field that they had that was outstanding, they looked like superstars. I think that's also playing playing a role as well, and I would like to see it. And maybe that conversation's going nowhere. I and I don't even know why I just had it. But at the end of the day, <laughs> they they got to just yeah. you got to play locally, and then you know not travel too far. Know where the hell you got to go, and everybody's playing rugby for the same reason. Oh. There's 20 guys, 40 guys who want to make the national team. Other than that, you know everybody's really just trying to have a bit of fun. All right, we're running out of time. Quickly, you wanted to mention Jim Greenwood, who um, passed away. Uh, this week, very very sadly, on, on um, last Monday on the 13th of September, Jim Greenwood died. And and for those of you who don't know who he is, Jim Greenwood was the writer of Total Rugby and Think Rugby. And I would say that they're the best books that I've ever read on rugby at all. And actually, one of our first guests might even have been our first guest, Simon Hardy was. Uh, he was pictured as demonstration guy in uh, in the first edition of Total Rugby, as he played for Jim Greenwood. And and what Total Rugby is, and and I think that a lot of people think that it's just whipping the ball around the field around the field, no matter what. And essentially, what it is is fifteen man rugby. And but the thing that he was looking to develop through his books and through his coaching was to develop a player's judgment. And that was the thing that he wanted guys to make well-judged risk-taking. Basically, total rugby is a variety and an enterprise based around the all-around competence of the players. They can do a lot of things well. So it's difficult to beat them because you can't beat them in one way. And 
you know, and and it was the it was the antithesis of play safe rugby, which was basically winning by minimizing the risk of defeat. So, you know, when you restrict risk, you're going to play to your strengths, but in in you don't give your players a chance to exercise their full range range of talents. I mean, and when you constantly play to your strength, you kind of perpetuate your weaknesses. And and he he wanted to he wanted to change the way rugby was played. And 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 in reality, he really did change the way rugby was played. He really did change the way people dealt with rugby. He 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 understood planning, intensity, you know, he was the first guy to really bring up work rate. He was the first guy to say pass and run, tackle and run, jump and run. Like he really, he really understood having a clear program in your mind, um, keeping practice flowing and not being awkward, uh, having a list of things that you concentrate on in practice. And he also was, was a guy who wanted to have players in charge of each of their units. Like, so you had to teach your tactical decision makers so that they were understood what needed to be done. And and he and he and he liked to have, you know, he 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 understood about staple activities and scrums and lineouts and restarts and defense and understanding and handling and 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 rucking and things that happen a lot in the game of rugby. And I would suggest to any coach, any player or anyone, I've probably read Total Rugby and Think Rugby dozens of times each. And I and I turn to them every single season. My, Mike Tolkien does too. And every single time I look at them, I get something out of them. And I just I was looking when I when I thought about talking about this, I was I was looking at at, at Think Rugby, and I just I picked out something that I was going to say. And and he's like, say for instance, you want to work out a precise model to curb the excesses of your flanker who's obsessed with the desire to knock down the fly half. But he lacks a model of when to go after the fly half. So basically what he says is commit yourself to the fly half only when the odds are in your favor. That's the principle. Now what tilts the odds? When their pack is under heavy pressure, when the ball is wet, when the scrum half is weak, when the fly half is having a bad day, when you're near their goal line, and when you feel you might smother a kick. Now, it's little things like that, and I know that that's not rocket science, but it's effective defense. And that's the entire two books are littered with information like that on every single page. And I think that from a coaching standpoint, he's probably the most influential coach, and, in, and these are the most influential rugby books that have ever been written. And and although that Total Rugby was first was first produced in 1978, but it actually had a it had a version in the 60s, and then and Think Rugby was first written in 1986. You're looking at at something that has is essentially timeless, and and people still look at them today. And as I said, I still look at Total and Think Rugby and the quest for space. And 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 really understanding purposeful team play and how to interact the coach with the tactical decision makers, and how to have your tactical decision makers have the most influence on the game, and it's tremendous stuff. And I would I, 
and I'm really saddened to see that he that he is uh, that he's died. And and I was fortunate enough to have have been to a clinic of his when he was in Pennsylvania for a week in in I, probably 1990 or 91, and and it was outstanding. And still to this day, Mike Tolkien and I use the models that we learned then to teach scrum halves how to pass and we use the same models to teach people how to kick when they don't know how to kick. And, and it, it, and, and I would, it is a sad day or it's a sad week. And I thought it got really short shrift on the, uh, on the rugby news sites and very, very little attention was paid to somebody who I think had the greatest effect on the game of rugby in yeah. terms of coaching. Here, here. Fantastic man. Absolutely. Great, great captain for Scotland. And, uh, it's great to see um, that someone from Scotland could have such a great impact on the game. And, and a reminder, too, that you can catch Andy Robinson on Rugger Matrix International, episode 91 last week, So, um, uh, who is the coach of Scotland from England. But, uh, but he will be missed, Jim Greenwood. All right. Actually, Rugger Matrix has been awesome. You have to listen. <laughs> it is a must listen. It's really been great over the past over the past four or five shows. It's been outstanding. I think good um, stuff. I think uh, Andy is a terrific guy, and uh, look forward to chatting to him because he doesn't do too many interviews. Andy Robinson, so it's a he acknowledges that he's not Scottish, but um, it's not his place to sing the anthem. But he encourages everyone else to do it who's there. And it was just a, he put it in such a great way that you just couldn't argue with him. He's there to do a job and do the best by Scottish rugby, and for a country like America, the United States that has so many foreign influences, I thought it was uh, quite appropriate. Well, actually he, 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 I would sing flower of Scotland because it's a great song, but I, as is is the British national anthem is a great song. I, we played the British national anthem at one of our games this year. Mike Tolkien, he looked at me with daggers in his eyes when I was singing it, but I will, I will say that it's been terrific. And, And Simon Hardy actually coached with Andy Robinson for quite a while. And he said, Andy Robinson is a rugby nut. He loves rugby. He said, that's the thing that keeps him going. He absolutely loves the game hmm. in, in all its aspects. He, he could talk about rugby from the, morning, the moment he wakes up in the morning to the moment he goes to sleep at night and then dream about it so that he could talk about it again the next day. And uh, I found like, out that, that uh, kind of guy. I found out that uh, without notice, the, you know, the touring international teams, the coach and staff have to play against the Scottish coach and staff in indoor soccer like the Thursday or so before an international. So uh, if Ewan McKenzie gets a job coaching Australia, is he going to play soccer against him or is he going to sit in the gold drink and milkshakes? Uh, he'll, he'll make up some excuse not to play. But, uh, <laughs> um, whereas I'll be drinking the Johnny Walker Blue. Uh, Johnny Walker Blue? I mean, you're a pretty expensive guy. There's, uh, there's blue and there's nothing. Won't even go. You want the red label? That's just way too beneath you. No, that's like um, you know, that's like having got ethanol in your petrol. <laughs> so um, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, just beneath me. It's it's got blue or nothing, Bruce. <laughs> go blue or go home. <laughs> Speaking of Johnny Walker Blue, if you if you want to drink Johnny Walker Blue, go to Vegas, win a lot of money, and go to the US Sevens. <laughs> And you can afford Johnny Walker Blue with a hooker in a bar probably anywhere in town if you win a lot of money. Hmm. Are you talking about... I wouldn't know anything about that. You're talking about a rugby hooker, of course. 
Oh yes, you know, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. The num- number okay. two, yes. All number right. Two, so yes. as we say, you've got to be there, Alex. Uh, you've got to be there. It, it's definitely yeah. starting to build uh, the anticipation, and we even do have uh, public. We have we have ads on Rugger Matrix and ClubRugby.com.au, so you might have people coming from down under just on spec. That well, I just <laughs> on spec. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, hotel deals are coming up very soon, so people should uh, have a look for uh, where they can stay in Vegas for February twelfth and thirteenth, and obviously a little bit before and a little bit after. There are going to be some really good hotel deals, so we'll we'll keep people updated on that. And uh, obviously, it's going to be some great rugby too. All right, we'll keep hey, it Bronk, coming. One yep. other thing, I just wanted I just want to say to coaches out there in in, in American circles. There's always a lot of Australian players who want to come and, and play in, in America. If you want to find out who's who and you want to know who's who and see if, if these guys are who they say they are, clubrugby.com.au is a very good place to suss out and find out whether or not the person that is emailing you about his qualifications is FOS, and that would be full of yeah. something that starts with an S. And it's a very good place to find out your information. Certainly, just search uh, the website and Paul Cook's comprehensive wraps of, of those matches. We'll certainly name your man if he's involved. If he's not in that report, then he's not worth, well, not worth the plane ticket. And Paul Cook is great. Uh, he's tremendous, he mate. Tremendous good stuff. He's a really good man. Uh, good writer. He's a, he's a good man, a good man for a, Alex. In- you should hire him. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, for, does he does he write for like uh, Johnny Walker Blue? Is that, no, no, that, look, that he the, might? Hey, you know he what? Might. If you give him Johnny Walker Blue, I'm almost yeah. certain he might. Because Bronk's probably giving him like Forex uh, or something that, that you went down from because because you know Bronk only does VBs. <laughs> I, when I went to Mexico once, I said we have a beer called Two Forex in Australia when we were holding a, a bottle of Dos Equis. And uh, they said, oh, it's twice as good. And I said, no, it's not. It's not. It is not. And, Bruce, it is uh, it's a shocking beer. Shocking beer. Anyway. Um, well, hey, uh, look, you're a Queenslander now. You've got to start to learn to love your forex. No, no, no. I was born in Queensland, more, but uh, I was born in Queensland. Like a, you know what you do? You take like a, a, v, you take a VB, a VB like um, mm. what are those called, the little coolie caps that you throw Chris over tops. them? Oh, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah the cooler, it's like just a cooler, yeah. When you get a little cooler that you throw, and it just has like a VB can that you, or, or a, yep. a 4X can. You get one of those and you put it over your VBs. Yeah, it's got to be cold. <laughs> got to be cold. It's got to be cold. Cold cold. That's my favorite Australian beer. <laughs> well, that's Carl VB. Well, there is a joke, a bit like um, I think the episode of The Simpsons where they had the Duff and they just had three pipes coming out of the one tank for the different brands. Well, uh, there's a there's a one or two brewers that are accused of doing that and just making it a, a more luxurious <laughs> bottle. Anyway, that's a whole new discussion. I don't even know how we got there. But thanks for sorting out um, our special guest today because uh, yeah. uh, that was just sensational. I really like about her is that she takes ownership of uh, uh, her performances, and you know most of the really good players that I run into, they do that. They don't shy away from a little criticism and a little bit of. Uh, uh, you know, just sort of calling out, which is no, great. No, you've got it. You've look. It's part of the territory, and uh, the dot com is where you have to go. And uh, man, does she work out? Look out, Bruce. Dude, she could. 
bust your head open. <laughs> She'd probably do more pull-ups than <laughs> she probably do more pull-ups in one set than I've done in my life. Yeah. <laughs> she is an athlete and uh, and a great person too. All right, uh, Alex, uh, thanks for joining us. Rugbymag.com for all so your much. latest news. Make sure you go there today. All right, thanks a lot. And Bruce McLean, thanks for chiming in from New York tonight. New York City, just like I pictured it. Skyscrapers and everything. Everything. All right, that's uh, Rugger Matrix America, episode 33. We'll speak to you next week.